start. There we go. Good morning, everybody. This is Phil Stevens with Iron Radio. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete, Iron Strength Guild. Kind of tired. I've been deer hunting this week, so I've been getting out at like four in the morning. But I haven't shot anything yet. I saw saw some deer. I saw every turkey in the county. So if anybody <laughs> needs to know where the turkeys are at, I know where they are. The deer, I've seen a couple, but not anything crazy. So. Oh, no turkeys. Those are illegal. It's they're not in season right now. Oh, okay. So they were strutting around. I got to watch them for an hour, right in front of me, making all <laughs> kinds of freaking noise. So. Are they making faces at you? Yeah, totally. <laughs> making fun of me. Yeah. Uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, associate professor of the Kerrigan Institute, uh, instructor at Rocky Mountain University, creator of the Flex Diet Cert, the FizzFlex Cert, and last day here in South Padre, Texas, and no wind the past five days. So last kiteboarding session will probably be this past Sunday. This is Coach Jay, or Coach Jarrell, out of, technically out of Olathe Strength Guild, but I'm in Denver this weekend for American Open Finals, so doing some weightlifting stuff this weekend. And then, uh, Coach quite a few other things, CrossFit powerlifting, uh, even some track and field, you know, fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Good times. Well, I was going to give a, well, I guess it would be a shout-out or a condolences to, we lost another icon in the world of of fitness. Uh, Larie Draper made an announcement that Dave Draper passed this week, and that was kind of sad. I mean, it was, yeah. I've dealt with them some, and both, both Larie and Dave have always been just super nice, and you know, he just comes from that day too. Like we're gonna, we're gonna start losing everybody from his day. Oh. I mean, I think he was almost eighty. Um, he's you know came up in the Arnold times, and mm-hmm. it's like how much longer do we have these? How much longer do we have Arnold and Lou and you know they're all starting Franco. to leave us. Yeah, yeah, Franco. But yeah. So, anyways, condolences, and we're sorry to hear that. I saw something that reminded me of you, Mike. Uh-oh. Uh, on Instagram, of all things. Oh, geez. Stan Efferding posted something from a guy called The Noah, but uh, that's his screen handle or whatever the hell it is. Mm. Does metabolic flexibility have any significant impact on anything? Anything at all? Is it a thing? And uh, <laughs> I was like, ah, that that's Mike's thing, is what that yeah. is. So, what do you say? Uh, he just posted a bunch of uh, Alan Aragon's research. So... Is what he posted about, where is it at? Oh, I pushed the wrong button. Sorry. Um, just explaining what it is. You know, Maxwell metabolic flexibility is the body's ability to adapt to fuel utilization and changes fuel availability in this particular contrast and just a, a bunch of positive things telling the guy, yes, it is a thing. And look, here's a bunch of references to studies that it is a thing. So it's pretty much all it is. So, oh, okay, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it was good to see because I thought he might take one of those stances of like, ah, it's complete shit. Yeah, <laughs> vertical diet only, you know. <laughs> and I hate it when people do that. That's one of the things I like. I like Mark Ripto. I like the person he is that I've known in person, but I hate the fact that like <sighs> he can't leave just, the brain. He's so closed down. Like he won't look at anything else. Like, oh yeah. Starting strength is the way to do it. Everybody must squat this way. There's no, you know, that's it. And it's like, come on, man. <laughs> Open your eyes a little bit. So, uh, no, it's good to see that stuff when when people are open to, well, I mean, just new new ways and new facts and, you know. So, yeah. Stan, Stan's um, always seemed like a very intelligent man, too. So Yeah, no, he's. Very nice. I've probably told the story on here before, but at the the fitness summit, it was, it was funny. Uh, he kind of rolls in there like it was like maybe after the first two speakers or whatever he had a scheduling. I think he ended up driving there, and it's in between uh, speakers, and my wife is there with me, and you know, Stan just is kind of standing there, you know, just waiting around for the next speaker to come up. And it's funny how you can see people look at him, but they weren't sure if it's okay to talk to him or not. <laughs> And yeah. so my wife doesn't know who he is at all. She yeah. goes up and goes, oh, who are you? Do you know anyone here? And, well, here, let me introduce you to some people. <laughs> yeah. 
And they're like, yeah, we know who he is. So I went over and talked to him, and I asked him, I said, hey, I said, no offense, like, what are you doing here? Because <laughs> he wasn't scheduled, you know. Yeah. He just showed up. He's like, oh, I wanted to see your talk, and I wanted to see, you know, these other people present and stuff. And we had a good chat, and he had, you know, reference stuff I had written and talked about. So it wasn't just like, yeah, I want yeah. to see you because you're standing in front of me yeah. type thing. And I was like, oh, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um. And then after a while, people realized they could go talk to him. So then he was then he was surrounded. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, but no, I've talked to him several occasions, and he's yeah. come up to Minnesota a couple times for different talks. And uh, yeah, always just super, super yeah. nice, good, good guy, and very friendly. And at least get the impression that he listens to you, even if your viewpoint is a, a little bit different. I think he's, mm-hmm. you know, trying to do things in the, a better way, which is great to see. Yeah, and at least takes the time to listen, understand it, digest it, and then make an opinion, yeah. <laughs> which is all sure. you can ask. Yeah. Just be open enough to listen. So, uh, God, that goes into everything in the world, I suppose, right now. Yeah. But Oh, yeah. So I mean, just to be curious about whatever the subject matter is, I've heard that about him, too, that he's just, like, very curious about various things of strength and conditioning, regardless mm-hmm. of – his brand, you know, that that's the experience I have with some people. And even sometimes, like, they're on brand, and then if you talk to them on the side, they're like, well, look, man, this isn't really that. But, yeah. And that's kind of a frustrating thing. But yeah. you're like, man, I just watch all these people who, like, really are about to hang on this dogma yeah. and run out there into the streets and yell it. But Stan always seemed like he was just very genuinely, gen, genuinely curious about things. And... I would even say that about the vertical diet. He's he's like open to the you know challenges to it. Like hey, I mean, and then he can kind of explain his way. But yeah, well, and like we talked about, just because it's written in his book doesn't mean at some point that might change. Yeah, you know, he's willing to say, "Oh, I fucked up, guys. Look, I changed my thought pattern," but uh, which is refreshing. So I even published some articles for other sites. I think it was Barbend or something about the vertical diet and I'm like yeah you know if that's the population and the context you're working with that's a great starting point that doesn't mean everybody needs to do it or it's the be all end all and you know Stan will tell you that himself too but for the athletes he works with and for what they're trying to accomplish what he's noticed and I just happen to notice something pretty similar that yeah that works great mm-hmm. <laughs> but doesn't mean it's the only way <laughs> yep and that's hell. That might even be more of a case in in diet than it is in exercise. You know, holy yeah. crap! There's so many diets that work. It's just like just pick one and try it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but what did you have on? Uh, I've seen it a lot in on popping up on the social media lately again. The uh, contrast tubs and things like that. You had something about that, Mike? Yeah. So this has been like something I've been interested in for probably like 10 years. Um, so temperature is a, what's called a homeostatic regulator, right? Your body has to maintain, it's commonly called 98.6. It's actually closer to 97.7, I think, but it has to maintain core temperature there. But we can do things like we can go and do swimming in cold lakes if you live in Minnesota or where Phil does or where you guys do in the Midwest. You can then... Go outside, as long as you're not being a complete idiot, giving yourself frostbite or anything. Mm-hmm. And over time, you adapt to cold weather. You can go into a sauna. You can adapt to heat or exercising like down here in humidity and heat. So it's been fascinating to me how if you go to the other end of the spectrum and you look at people who have lost that ability. Uh, like when I was visiting my grandma, who was she died at 101 a couple of years ago, Man, like you go to the nursing home and it's like a hundred degrees in there all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, she had like a blanket on her part of the time. Yeah. It's like, oh, cause they're missing some of the ability to regulate temperature mm-hmm. very well. Like any little change in temperature was, was very hard. So there's a new study that came out, uh, titled, this is from Frontiers in Physiology 2021, published November 3rd, called Post Exercise Warm or cold water immersion 
to augment the cardiometabolic benefits of exercise training, a proof of concept trial. On a lot of social media, you'll see stuff saying that if your goal is all-out hypertrophy, not to do any cold water immersion. And I covered this in the physiologic flexibility uh, cert that I did, shameless plug, because one <laughs> of the regulators is temperature. Um, and I went through, there's about like four randomized controlled trials. Granted, they're smaller in humans. And it does show that if your goal is all-out maximal hypertrophy, that doing cold water immersion immediately after training, probably not the best idea. Um, the downside is I tried really hard to figure out, well, how much muscle is that costing you in English, right? So, mm-hmm. like, if you're an outlier and your maximal natural rate is, like, one pound per month, which is definitely on the extreme, are you losing a half a pound because you did cold water, like mm-hmm. a couple ounces? And... We can't really figure that amount out. <laughs> Some of the DEXA data didn't quite line up, and DEXA has an easily single to you know one, two, three percent error in it. Um, some of the studies were done with muscle biopsy, which is great because we can look at little fibers and see if they got bigger or smaller. But it's really hard to translate that into what does that mean as you as a whole person, like as a whole organism. Yeah. Um, the other part too is that. The studies were generally done for that at 50 degrees, uh, at least 10 minutes. Um, So that's pretty significant if you've you've done cold water immersion before. It's definitely doable, but they're also done immediately after training. Like most of them are done within five minutes of after training. Gotcha. Uh, However, on the side of heat, there's some pretty good data showing that in sauna, like even untrained populations can see cardiometabolic benefits. Um, from that. Um, so in this study, they're trying to figure out, can cold water immersion boost the cardiometabolic effects of training or not? So what they did is they had 22 healthy adults, and they completed two out of three interventions. Uh, the three interventions were 60-minute cycling at 70% of their max heart rate, 30-minute cycling at 70% of max heart rate, and 30 minutes of warm water immersion. And then 30 minutes of cycling at 70% of max heart rate and 30 minutes of cold water immersion. So, again, it was a pilot study because they didn't have a lot of uh, people, especially with the way the trial was designed. Uh, But it was a very interesting split the way that they did that. So participants completed 12 sessions over two weeks with a four-week washout period. They give them four weeks where they're not doing anything, and they'll come back in and they'll do the inverse condition of what they did before. Uh, what they saw was VO2 max increased more in the exercise-only intervention than the cold water immersion, but not in the warm water immersion, which I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, distance and power increased among all three groups wasn't statistically significantly different. Uh, they did look at metabolic flexibility, as we're talking about. Uh, no difference in fuel oxidation between groups. And they did an oral glucose tolerance test. They give you a crap ton of glucose and measure at least glucose, sometimes insulin afterwards. Uh, So no difference in oral glucose tolerance post-exercise, either fasted or fed. So what do they kind of conclude? That two weeks of post-exercise warm water immersion, uh, the water they used was 102 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, can provide similar benefits to cardiovascular fitness and time trial performance compared to 60 minutes of exercise alone. Uh, Exercise was superior to post-exercise cold water immersion. They used 52 degrees Fahrenheit for cardiovascular fitness. So the massive takeaway is, and again, as the caveat is, if you're not a high-level athlete, which that's to be determined, if you can exercise for 60 minutes, 30 minutes plus warm water immersion, uh, may have similar benefits, at least over a short-term study. So, my first thought is, like, where's the rubber hit the road then? Um, Yeah. (laughs) I would say this, it's interesting the fact that if you're not a high-level athlete, right, so if you can't complete 60 minutes of continuous exercise at 70% of your max heart rate, the old-time prescription would be just suck it up and figure out a way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, you could argue, based on this study, again, which if it's replicated, shows to be true, et cetera, et cetera, 
that 30 minutes of exercise and then 30 minutes of just, I, I tell athletes, it's tubby time, just mm. go sit in hot water, um, has similar benefits. Mm. And I think for average population, or at least not high-end athletes, telling someone, hey, you only need to do 30 minutes of exercise and you can go sit in a jacuzzi yeah. sounds way better than 60 minutes of exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there is some... Uh, at least physiologic reasons why that may be beneficial. Um, and it's an easier sell, right? You know, 30 minutes of sitting in 52 degree water. Oof, yeah. That's, yeah. that's horrible. That's not very I, fun. Like an actual support. Like I don't, I haven't seen really a ton of actual support for like the ice baths and, you know, cold water stuff just because, um, I mean, most of the time, when would you be using it, right? So if you're doing hypertrophy and your goal is muscle mass, then why would you want to interrupt that process anyway? Like, it's not like your joints, you know, because most people get in to feel better, right? Like you're doing mm-hmm. some high, like high intensity stuff. Maybe, you know, the crossfitters love to do it, like, but it, it kind of interrupts that process anyway. And then it's like, it kind of, it might feel better, but it doesn't really, make you any better you know i like that's to me is kind of the the gist of a lot of the cold cold immersion stuff not heat i i've seen support for in various ways you know obviously not like huge but you know beneficial in terms of recovery and whatnot but like the cold water immersion like that to me almost seems like if it makes you feel better all by all means but but any any cold therapy stuff i haven't seen be like super beneficial. I've never, you know, suggested it to any of my athletes or anything like that. It just seems like kind of a, an extra thing that you do. Like if, you know what I mean? Like you have to fill up a tub with a bunch of ice or whatever, you know, however you're going to get there. I just haven't seen it really pan out to anything useful enough to justify the effort. Yeah. I mean, the research is so split on it mm. right now. Um, I would say, the hypertrophy stuff is relatively convincing. Again, small number of trials. They're all relatively small trials. Effect size, yeah, it's probably a real thing. What it translates to, how much it costs you, like we said, hard to say. For athletic performance, it's a lot more mixed. There's some stuff showing strength and power might be enhanced. There's some stuff showing no difference. And just even like coach's opinion, like, mm-hmm. um, some are like swear by it and their athletes swear by it. And other people are like, I don't use it. It's a pain in the ass. I'm not convinced, but it appears to be very polarized when I've talked to coaches. There's people either seem to really like it, their athletes like it, or they don't use it and they, they don't like it mm-hmm. in terms of adaptations. My gut feeling is. I think there may be something there for strength and power, especially if you're really pushing uh, volume. Uh, the data on that, again, super mixed, but it's also hard because we have limited trials, and then you've got all sorts of different conditions. Was it just lower body? Did you use cryo? Did you stick him in water? Mm. Was the water circulating or not? What temperature was it? How long were they in for? You know, what did you measure? And we just don't have a lot of good data on yeah. that. Um, I mean, I use it in the morning primarily, so I'll do some cardiovascular stuff in the morning, I've got an old freezer I've converted to cold water immersion, which makes it a lot easier. So I don't have to keep buying ice and do anything crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'll do it immediately after aerobic training because there isn't any interference effect that I know of. Um, I do tend to feel better. I think it's a mental benefit of trying to do something hard every day that you can repeat. It's only so much hard exercise at high quality that you can do every day. Uh, for aerobic stuff, there is some data that you may increase uh, skeletal muscle PGC1-alpha, just kind of a master regulator for mitochondrial biogenesis. That was cold water immersion at 10 degrees centigrade, so that's around 50 degrees Fahrenheit for 15 minutes. Uh, but again, you know that hasn't really been reproduced necessarily either. Um, heat has a lot more benefits for that we know of in relation to aerobic training and even recovery from longer training sessions. So on Mondays when I go to the gym and do more upper body, kind of more hypertrophy stuff, I'll use the sauna there at the gym. 
and there doesn't seem to be any interference effect on that. So, yeah, my problem with cold, it'll wake you the hell up for sure. I oh, use it in the morning. It's like, woo, I'm awake. Yeah. <laughs> my, my problem with cold is like, I feel like the tin man before they oiled him when I get out of cold. Really? <laughs> oh man, my joints are just like with all that hardware. <laughs> oh my god. Um, <laughs> but like cold versus hot, like we're getting ready to go to Montana, and one of the things we're going to do is, uh, you know, it'll be probably single digits outside. Yeah. In late December, early January, and but we're going to hit the. They have some outside hot springs there. Oh, that's fun. I've done that. Oh there. yeah, that's that's good stuff there. So, <laughs> like sitting in a hot tub when it's two degrees outside but you're warm it's like oh this is amazing but yes uh, yeah i don't know but i i can 100 percent tell you like that i just haven't given it the the time to tell if it's even good for me you know like, i just don't like being cold <laughs> yeah I mean, that, the cold shower thing I've, I've seen people use effectively for like you know doing something hard every morning like like you're mm-hmm. saying like, like you know wake up cold shower or whatever i've seen that in various things um, the most prevalent I see it is like people trying to do it is like, let's say you're at a CrossFit competition, you got three, four, five events and it's like people try to jump in it, you know, after an event or something like that. But to me, it's almost all, you know, related to how they feel, like how they feel about it. Like if you feel like you're going to feel better, you know, just straight up placebo effect. Mm-hmm. And you're just trying to like, in those days, you know, the competition day, you're just trying to survive. Like you're not really. Oh, definitely. You're not worried about your recovery process. You know what I mean? Like after a workout, like you're not like, oh, I'm ready for the recovery process. It's like you're just trying to survive the day. You know, you're trying to go through these four or five hard workouts so you can get to the, you know, to the end of the day. But as far as, you know, and the heat stuff is so much easier to implement for, I think, almost everyone. Because you don't have to, there's not, a, you know, a big step to get a tub or anything like that. So that's kind of been my experience with it. I haven't had anyone use it. And I haven't really suggested it to anyone. People have asked, and I usually say, if it makes you feel better, by all means. Yeah. We have the cryo people. They stop by all the time. Like, it just really kind of reminds me of the Han Solo thing. But <laughs> I'm always just like, like, hey, man, try it out. If it feels better and it helps your recovery process. But any recovery thing that you do is you, A, like you have to either be consistent with it or be consistent with a few things and kind of rotate through them because there is some adaptation effect of like once you get used to that transition to the cold, it's like it it seems to be not quite as effective besides like you feel better. Um, But that's been the only experience I've had with it. And so like as as far as like what I read, I see people, you know, swear by it or not but i've never successfully implemented it with any athlete or seen it be a huge you know transformational thing i'm like yeah this definitely needs to go into the program for sure mm-hmm. yeah i i during lockdown i had the cold tub and so i did it probably six days a week for well over a year and a half like very consistent and i can't say that i've saw any huge advantage at least in terms of my recovery or heart rate variability or even resting metabolic rate granted i wasn't measuring resting metabolic rate immediately after just chronic changes uh no moxie difference that i could tell again chronically not necessarily acutely but the thing i did notice is there's some i think mental benefit to doing something hard to get your because after a year, I thought, okay, this is going to be, even if I don't make it colder and I don't stay in longer, I've been doing this almost every day for a year, just like anything else. It's got to get easier. And like the second before you, you get in, you're like, shit, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like every day, even like a year and a half later, I, there was still that hesitation of I had to walk myself through, okay, it's going to feel better when you're done with it. <laughs> It, it never got to the point where your brain's like, okay, this is easy. You're, there's, I yeah. think that lizard part of your brain that's still wired to be like, no, this is a dumb idea. What are you doing? You, if you stay in here for many, many minutes, you could die. Um, but I think there's a benefit to using the new, like the professor prefrontal cortex part of your brain to override that little limbic part and be like, nope, this is what we're doing. 
we're going to do it. It's going to be okay. We're doing it in a controlled fashion. Yeah. And I do think that that transfers to other areas of your life. And that to me so was I, the biggest thing. I can see that. I mean, I can see that. I mean, that's like just embracing the suck. You, know, oh, you learn, you just learn to embrace the suck. And I yes. mean, that goes back like running. Oh, it goes back anybody to- can be okay. good at running. It's like a lot of it's mental. Until you get into like those huge fucking like ultra marathons and shit. Yeah, pain management. Um, yeah, then it's like you just got to be crazy. But you know, like anybody can learn to go run for an hour. A lot of that is just don't fucking stop, pussy. Yeah. <laughs> so it really is. Uh, you know, it's just like keep going. So, but uh, no, yeah. that scare me is those cryotherapy chambers. I'm really surprised not more people have died. Uh, I've seen a. I'm not a big fan of those. Yeah, those things reach like, we're going to put you in negative 230 degrees. Oh, that sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Oh, that you are going straight Han Solo, man. It's like, you're going to freeze me. So, (laughs) yeah, I I mean, they they come by all the time and like stop by and like, you know, sell us little packages. It's kind of expensive packages too. Like, you know, look, the population in a way that it's not like, it's a huge population of like the greatest athletes on earth or something. <laughs> it's, it's like, what, what use would you have as a, just like a regular person for a, you know, a recovery method that's like an interruption for athletes for the most part. Right. Mm-hmm. Like what's the use? You know what I mean? Like I, I, I almost seriously ask them that all the time, but they, you know, they just give me the sales pitch. Like, I want to hear the, the truth. Give me the truth. Yeah. But yeah. I don't, because they pitch it to, you know, just regular folks. Mm-hmm. And so that part, I, I'm kind of just like, I don't understand what, like, why would you want to do that as, you know, if you're not training really hard and you have, they're trying to find ways to add another training session in per week or you're trying to find a way to, you know, make your, Wednesday session, you know, not take as much away from your Friday session, right? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Understandable. But to just, you know, sit at a desk and you're like, oh, I'm really tired of, from sitting down and I need to, <laughs> I need to cryo. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense to me. And it is like, it's a super extreme. So I don't even know why I was developed in the first place, but yeah. I, into it, but. I mean, it could, it's a, probably a case of one of those things where people love like putting a magnifying glass on the minutia. Yeah. Like there's the people do it in all the time. Like, like they will mess with this thing. Like they will put all their interest into this dietary thing. That is like literally the 1%. Like, okay, it'll might make a difference, but it's going to be really small, you know? And, but they put all their energy in that. And then they ignore like the shit that could be big. Like just eat, like, not like a five-year-old, you know, <laughs> uh, like they'll concentrate on, you know, I have to have one gram of protein per pound and which is great. But I mean, we all know there's some variants. If I went to two or 0.6, I'd probably be fine, but they, they just concentrate on that. And then the rest of their diets like ho-hos and cupcakes, (laughs) you know, it's like, yeah, but you're fucking yourself on the rest of the shit, you know, the much bigger picture things. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd try it some more, but I, like, I don't mind the, the contrast showers and things like that. But like I said, uh, opposed to the, if I jump in a 55 degree tub and I'm like, Oh man, I'm getting really cold. I better get out of here. I have time. Like I could take like two minutes to get out of there. Mm-hmm. And one of those cryo things, like at negative two thirty, like seven extra seconds might kill me. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> we don't have time to fuck up. The window for messing up is small at negative 230 degrees. So, yeah. yeah it seems so extra to me. I, I don't understand it, honestly. Like, they, they yeah. come, there's companies. I feel like it's been a thing across the nation. It's some, you know, kind of a big chain place that stands alone. It's just, it has a storefront and everything. And, mm. uh, there's multiple places across the country. It kind of rose really quick. The yeah, it did. Cryo chamber stuff. Yep. Good yeah. I've tried both, and, I mean, from a review of the literature, there's definitely more potential benefits with cold water immersion than just cryo. 
And Cryo does have more risks. I know all the studios get pissed at me every time I say this, but whatever. Like you're, like you guys said, you're dealing with cold air and your biggest risk with that, if it's not managed appropriately, which is, you know, relatively easy to do is frostbite. If you get into cold water, the biggest risk is the water hits your face and you have a gas Mm -hmm. reflex where you inhale. And if your head's underwater, then yeah, you could, very easily drown. That's how people drown yeah. all the time yeah. in boating accidents, plane accidents, yeah. etc. But if you're in a tub in a confined area and you've progressively practiced it a little bit, there's still a risk, but it's definitely a lot less. Um, that wow. yeah. when I did the cryo, though, it was funny. They're like, "Oh, have you ever done this before?" I said, "Well, no, but I do cold water immersion." They're like, "Oh, okay. Well, this is better." And I'm like. Well, <laughs> What's like the max you can go the first time? And I don't remember the number. I'm like, oh, let's just do that. If it's really bad, I'll just hit the button stop and then mm-hmm. go through the, you know, the wind down procedure or whatever. And it's cold. Like it definitely wakes you up, but it, it's just a different sensation where you don't get that deep sensation of being cold where you definitely can in water and you feel really good after. I think yeah. that's the main benefit of why people do it. You get a lot of dopamine, norepinephrine. Grand muscle studies were done on cold water immersion. Um, and if you hit the skin with cold water or air, you definitely get a sympathetic response. So mm-hmm. yeah. you feel pretty good after. But in terms of any physiologic effects, I, I'm, I'm not convinced yet. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Like, you can't stay in there long enough. No. For it to go deep you know what i'm saying like water literally it like if mike turned his tub down to 30 he couldn't get in it because it would be an ice cube yeah (laughs) (laughs) um whereas like i'm i'm not sure i'm not uh, a temperature scientist or whatever they call it but i'm i don't know if there's a place on earth that gets to negative 230 you know like it's on that's unnatural cold like you're talking liquid nitrogen cold yeah um so you're not staying in that long, you know, aside from the fact that it's just going to reach your outer layers of your skin and stuff. Like, okay, you got 30 seconds and, you know, <laughs> hey, we got to get you out. But so I'm, I mean, I can see that from a, from a very unscientific viewpoint. I can understand that like being able to sit in a 50 degree tub for 15 minutes is probably going to hit a lot deeper tissues than negative 230 for 30 seconds yeah. or whatever it is. So. Uh, so maybe, I don't know, could it be good for your skin and stuff like that? Yeah, potentially, yeah, I could see that. I could see where that makes sense. Uh, you know, get some blood flow to those outer layers and okay, get out and wake you the hell up for sure. But yeah, other than that. Yeah, but again, it's like what you guys said. I I think there might be some benefit to cryo, and if people like doing it, great. But well, By all means, if, yeah. If you think that that's going to solve your recovery issues, you're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like... Like Jarrell said, it could be placebo effect. And, I mean, if you sure. firmly believe that eating red M&Ms is what takes you to the next level <laughs> and it makes you feel fucking eat red M&Ms, you know, because yeah. placebo effect can be very real if you believe in it and it actually is doing something for you. Um, yeah. But. Have you seen the placebo effect uh, studies done on steroids? No. It's crazy. There's, God, I want to say, like, three studies now. I don't have the data right in front of me. Um, but if I remember correctly and someone can correct me on this, the placebo group wasn't statistically different or wasn't as massively different as what you would have expected. Really? Now, granted, they didn't use a super high dose, but it was a super physiologic dose. Yeah. And I think in one of the groups they may have only done, I think one of the earliest studies they used a control group and they both were in essence placebo but they only told one group you're getting steroids, another group you're not, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty impressive gains. <laughs> really? Yeah. I could see that because, I mean, being in this industry long enough, I've been around and seen a lot. And you see those people that they will only trade hard when they're on shit. Yeah. And that's probably what it is, is they, well, I've got to train. You know, I, I have the, you know. So well, they'll train twice as hard. If they just do that anyways, you know, when they don't have anything, they'd probably be pretty jacked. That's where a lot of people miss the boat. But uh, it'd be interesting to see a study where 
they told the people they weren't getting it, but they were. Yes. <laughs> I agree. Uh, that'd be fun to see if they actually made like appreciable gains in, in muscle size and strength. But it works. It works on everything now too. Cause like if you tell, I remember they stood out in, uh, I don't know if it was psychology, but if you tell, so you have two groups that are about to take a test and tell one group, like, like you just kind of tell them they're, they're either smarter or they, that it's going to be easy or something like that. Like they do better on the test easy by like mm-hmm. seven to 10% or something like that. Wow. Yeah. Just making them believe in it, but I can see that. I mean, it's just like, it's easier said than done in lifting, but if you have somebody that just, if their mind just believes they're going to do it, there's a good chance they're going to do it, unless it's like way out of their wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. You can't take a 400 pound squatter and put 700 on the bar and say, you got this, bro. Yeah. Believe in yourself. But, uh, you know, there's, you can somehow get a person's head behind them. There were, uh, some experiments in weightlifting, like specifically weightlifting, where they, they're they're putting I forgot they're putting I think it was just putting trash bags over the weights. Yeah, the Zordo mm-hmm. study. Yes. Yeah. yeah, so you can't see. So it's like, and you you'd almost always because you treat the weights the same, you know. Yes. And it's that's one of the challenging things in weightlifting, and it's one of the benefits of like having people start in pounds and then switch to kilos is like they just don't know what's on the bar. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, oh yeah, and they just treat it the same. Like they yep. just treat it the same. They focus on their movement. They don't worry about the weight. Almost always PR. Like you get, you get at least, you know, you can milk probably ten kilos out of that yeah. until they until they figure it out. They're like, oh, these colors are this, and then yeah, like, yeah no, I've seen that hundreds of times in the gym. That's what I was gonna say. There's a lot of times where I will just, uh, I'll just slide plates on, or I'll use kilo plates because a lot of my lifters just don't work in in those units, and uh, so they have no clue what the hell's on there. So I'll put a PR on them and I'll tell them it's something else, and then they hit it and they're like, oh, okay, let's go up, and it's like, yeah, but you just PR'd. <laughs> you know, and it's the only reason they did is because they just weren't in their own head about that weight. But uh. well, that's probably one of the more interesting lessons I learned. It's it kind of a random seminar with uh, we used to go by like the Iron Samurai or whatever. But we uh-huh. did this weightlifting seminar. But one of the things was it, it kind of shifted my thinking of like on PRs is like stop treating your PRs like they're special mm-hmm. and just eliminate it as like. Even as a coach, like I try to do that. If we're testing anyway, I try to eliminate the idea that you have PRs today. Yeah. It's like a new day. I'm not trying to, cause then you get to that number or close and you're like, Ooh, here we go. Instead of like, all right, let's Mm -hmm. like, you're just kind of casual going into it. I, it works in weightlifting a little bit better because of the component, like the speed component and technique component, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. It, I think it probably wouldn't be quite as big of an impact in powerlifting or movements that aren't quite as technical. Cause I mean, let's say a snatch, right? Like the one thing you do when you put a snatch PR on the bar is like you have that fear response and then you go faster. Like you try yeah. to like speed up your yeah. movements and you yeah. like kind of outrace your pull and all that stuff. So, but in like a squat, right? Like you don't have as much, there, there's too much time to like yeah. see that translate to the bar or whatever so yeah no i can see that for sure but wasn't that the ed Cohn thing where he said he never changed his own weights because yeah part of it he didn't want the visual representation and he's like i'm gonna lift it the same way i lifted the previous set anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah exactly and that's that's one thing that i push and it's kind of opposite what what you saying but like before me eight weeks out or whatever Mentally, every lift I'm hitting is the lift, my goal lift. So even though I'm hitting seven, my mind says eight. So it's just a way of trying to trick myself. And then by the time I've gone to the meet, it's like, okay, I've done that 50 times. Just do Mm -hmm. it again. You know, it's like you went up, you've done it. And, you know, it's just getting comfortable with that. And that a lot of that just takes time. Just just ignoring numbers and it's just like, okay, just do it right. All you got to do is do it right and you got a chance at this. You know, don't mentally fuck this up because then you're screwed. But if you just come in and do it how you do every other lift, you've got a good chance of making it. So, yeah. Well, uh, for you, it's definitely different because, I mean, the, the risk of, you know, I would say the the risk in powerlifting with squats to go above, once you get above that, like, 600-pound mark, 
Mm-hmm. Like the risk is like exponential increase. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Particularly, like you said, on walkouts and stuff like that. So yeah. you have to be more focused on certain minutia, right? Like with the suit, you said keeping your knees out, like really jamming your mm-hmm. knees into the suit. And that's like incredibly important when you get there. So it's that, that part I would assume is, is better for powerlifting for sure. It's yeah. the weightlifting stuff because it happens so fast that if you're thinking you're already too slow, right? Yes. You know, yes. If your mind is, is going in weightlifting, it's too late. You already yeah. lost. Yep. And so that, you know, it's going to feel heavy or whatever, you know? And that <coughs> comes back to the same deal. It's learning how to, what is the saying? Like, Treat lightweights like they're heavy and heavyweights like they're light. You just treat, mm-hmm. you train yourself to lift every lift exactly the same way, and you're going to give yourself a shot at Because um, like Darrell was talking about earlier, I've seen it a hundred times. Uh, you load a PR, and people just, they change their snatch, how they do it. They move it faster. They they try and force it, and where you can't do that. It's just, you try and force a snatch, and you're done. You're just, it's not happening. So it's like getting caffeinated. I remember one of the meets my wife did. Mm-hmm. She, she took a bunch of caffeine before snatch, and whoo, it went bad. It was the meat she bombed out. She's like, okay, never doing that again. You know, she was just too jacked up, so she wasn't moving how relaxed and kind of calm and in that zone. So, and that's another guessing, place she where. didn't try that in training beforehand. No, yeah. no, we didn't. And, uh, <laughs> and that's another reason, I mean, like, uh, powerlifting meets and stuff, they, they crank up the loud metal music and things like that mm-hmm. and get you all jacked up, and that can work. And, but doing that in Olympic weightlifting, not so much, you know. So as your arousal goes up, your fine motor skills start going down. Yeah, gross motor skills can go up. Yes, but uh, just yeah, it's just way more technical components. But yeah, so now I lost where we were going today. Um, Recovery, I think it was more on recovery stuff. Older versus younger. Yeah, somebody wrote into the to the uh, Iron Radio form a, a bit back about, you know, just to paraphrase, in his 20s, he lifted weights and did some biking and running and uh, didn't have to do much stretching and things like that. But then as life went on, life got busier. He's now in his 40s and recovery work, prehab, rehab, and things like that from muscle, achy muscles and joints became a bigger thing you know he's i've got to do these mini workouts i've got to make sure i go walk and this and that and target rehab exercises and some of the one minute stretches from dan john and things like that and uh he's just wondering if anybody else has seen this and recover work they do and you know why in his 40s is he so different than in his 20s and my first response is yeah i agree but I think some of this is you might be having to do all this rehab, prehab, stretching, muscle joint thing because you didn't do it in your 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think is a big and I, I am guilty of this, too. Uh, you know, I think I should have done more of that. And just general, like one thing I tell people is for a long time, I was like one of those zealots where it's like there was a push years back about like. Wearing a belt, you're a pussy. Putting on sleeves, you're a, you're a pussy. You know, raw should be butt naked. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wish I'd have started wearing at least sleeves earlier, just for like the warmth and the synovial fluid around the joints and things like that. And it's like you're you're not being a pussy by putting knee sleeves on. You're probably helping yourself in the long run. If you if you quit looking at tomorrow and start looking at 10 years from now and just do a few little things that might help your joints and things because you are, frankly, we're beating the shit out of ourselves to be at a high level in any lifting sport. And anything you can do long term to, you know, negate some of those bad things is probably a good thing. And that's probably why a lot of us now in our 40s and stuff at least a small portion of that is just because we didn't take care of ourselves and do the small things when we were younger. Um, is kind of where I'm at. What do you guys think? I, honestly, with my older clients and myself, just for me, the only thing I would say in training wise is switching from like, you know, just doing weightlifting training 
to switching to doing you know, some jujitsu stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like all the angles and stuff that we don't use in training, like creating imbalances there. Because I'm like, you know, so on the mats, I'm like pretty strong to a degree. But if you get out of the range of like right in front of me, then it's like that strength doesn't really count as much. So you have to yeah. working on some other stuff like single legs. Like I do a lot more single leg assistance work now. Mm-hmm. Where I kind of build in the quote unquote stretching. Like for powerlifters, I'd say this, like uh like Bulgarian split squats or, you know, rear foot elevated where you can kind of stretch the hip flexor on that and then Romanian deadlifts, like doing those two things. Like counts as assistance work and a little bit of mobility work, right? Like yeah. you have these imbalances that you create by staying in a range of motion. And if you just stay there and you don't really strengthen outside of it, yeah, you're going to run into walls. Yeah. Now, as far as like, <coughs> excuse me. I would say this about masters athletes is they don't do enough work, like warming up or whatever in the 50 to 60% range. So in weightlifting, it's like, oh man, or in powerlifting, I have a powerlifter who's like this, like, you know, working up, you're just like, you do one set, like in your mind, you're like, oh, I'll do 135, 180, whatever it is, right? Well, you could stay at 185 for a few sets mm-hmm. and then go up and you'll feel so much better. Yeah. It just takes a little bit longer for, especially if you're trained. If you, if you have a training background, like do a few extra sets at a lighter weight like a 50 60 percent then go into your working sets because most masters athletes in weightlifting it's like i'll say a lot of athletes i have you know mess with you a little bit when you hit your pr on like your third wave right so we do yeah. this thing where we go up to a heavy and back down up to a heavy and back down but you feel the best on your second and third wave almost mm-hmm. all the time and when you're older it's like the resistance to just slapping a heavy weight on the bar is higher. Like your body just isn't ready for it. So, oh yeah. Yeah. It's like take a few extra sets at a lighter weight, you know, assistance work training and the range of motion on your assistance work at least. And you'll, you'll start to feel better in that sense, but take your time. Like you don't have to do like when you're 20, you can just go 135, 225, you know, like you can just slap weights on the bar yes. and be done with it. When you're older, do the extra reps as you're warming up. Like, yeah, for sure, I agree. My The problem that comes into my head is, like, when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I could just throw 405 on the bar and start going. Because I can, should I? You know yeah. what I'm saying? Should we have gone ahead and done those extra sets in our 20s, too? And would it have helped us in the long run? You know, instead of just jumping in and... You know, just because you can doesn't mean you should, <laughs> you know, and I can't prove this in any way unless I found somebody in their 20s that was willing to stay with me for 30 years and, and mm-hmm. found two of them and did trained them differently. You know, let the one guy just go right to the weight and let the other make the other guy warm up. But, yeah, I, I 100% agree. Like, I have a training partner that's max squat was like 450 and mine was 750, and I noticed that he was doing the same warm-ups as me. Mm. Um, and he was getting, he wasn't ready by the time we got yep. to his working weights. And that's because he was going through these, basically he needed a breakdown. So I had eight more warmups or whatever it was because I was going up 300 more pounds. And, uh, so we started breaking his down into smaller jumps. So he had got the same amount of jumps, just smaller percentages. And Hey, look, it's fixed. By the time we got to his working weight, he was, he was warmed up and ready to go. Um, because he was getting five more sets or whatever. But and I 100% agree on your other part. Like one thing I preach is, like if I take 225 on squat and it doesn't feel like 225 is supposed to, I don't just go up. Even though I have eight more jumps, I need to, I stay there until okay. Now that's I have a vocabulary with the weights at this far into training. Like I know what that weight's supposed to feel like. That's wrong. So I'm not going up until that feels like it should. Uh, so I might get three or four warmups at 225 until, okay, that shit's right now. Okay, now we can go up. Not just, those are my jumps, so I take them. You know, here's what I do every day. I always do 135, 225, 315. And just, even though 225 felt like shit, my next one's 315. Well, that's dumb. 
Because if 225 felt bad, I'm pretty sure 315 will probably feel worse. <laughs> so, uh, and people can't get that through their head. It's like you get quit being stuck on your 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 pattern or your uh, just what you always do, and break from that if things aren't feeling right. So, but yeah, I mean, I agree. I like the you stress distress model for this too. So you stress EU stress that. You can normally recover from a little faster, you know, distress, stress that has potentially a higher risk that's going to take you longer to recover from. Right? So most of your training, if you're leading up to a meet, is going to be you stress because you want to come in within a day or two and do some type of training again. Your meet day is definitely going to be a distress. Like you, mm-hmm. It's all about performance, even at a higher risk. You can take the next two weeks off. It doesn't matter what's going yeah. on. So I think... a you stress model for the deadlift is like you guys were saying, just be conservative, take a few more reps, mm. take a little bit more rest, take more time. And then the distressed end of that is at some point, depending on the athlete and what they're doing. If I have someone who's, you know, special operator or police or fire or something like that, I'm going to push this a little bit more because they don't get to warm up before some mm-hmm. bad shit happens. <laughs> yeah. But can you come in and hit 315 without any injury, without any warm-up? That would be yeah. a distress. Yeah. That doesn't mean you want to do that every day. It's just yes. you, over time, want to see that capacity going up. And depending upon why you're training, you can then prioritize or deprioritize that to whatever you need. But, you know, even in the case of, you know, police, fire, special operator, et cetera, most of their training is still you stress. Like they're going to take more time, you know, take more warm ups. Yeah. We're going to try to actually build, you know, strength because that's going to pull everything up and we're keeping the risk to something that's more manageable too. Yeah. Um, I got one more thing to mention. It's like his ending thing is basically is the recovery work and things he's doing. Is it wasted time or is it a good way to get some low level aerobic activity and work? Um, so what what jumps out to me is like he says it in here in his teens and twenties, basically he lifted weights, plus he did martial arts, running, biking. He was just generally active. Yeah. And then life got busier, he got work, kids, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's normal. And that's one thing you need to realize. And I bet if he goes back and looks, by doing his little mini workouts, his cycling, his rehab and his stretching, he is probably getting as much or less activity in his forties by adding that little stuff as he was in his active teens and twenties because he was just generally active. So that was just part of life. He was doing that anyways, but it was just his daily young life. You know, he was just generally more active. He went out and played basketball and crap like that. And you get busy and in your forties with kids and that shit goes away. So he has to, he has to add that in purposefully. Yeah. I was going to mention some like sled workouts, you know what I mean? Like that's, is more important for my, you know, older athletes, 30 plus, I'd say mm-hmm. like having a couple of sled workouts per week where you're, and you can push a heavy sled too. Like you still get a little bit of a training effect from pushing a heavy sled, but it's not as stressful on you. Yeah. Like, you know, doing some sled conditioning or whatever, but when your, your base, you know, GPP drops, like your overall strength will also drop. And so if you have all these extra workouts or you're riding a bike or whatever, like that, that increases your neural map, but also like just your ability to do work. And so if you drop that out and yeah, you're going to have like a, you know, a down effect, but GPP can be anything. If you have, you know, bike stuff or get out and do whatever, everyone notices it in the winter time because they're doing less stuff outside. Mm-hmm. Kind of a drop off, but that's still your base. Like general physical preparedness is still your base of, you know, even strength, like absolute strength, all that stuff is still kind of the base. Like you still want to have a high level of workload as you get older, um, even more so. Like those workouts, those little feeder workouts tend to become more important. Now, yeah. depends on where he's at and his training and what he's aiming for and all that stuff. But as far as like just feeling better through the training process as older athletes, like the little feeder workouts, I don't prescribe a whole lot of like stretching workouts or like mm-hmm. yoga stuff necessarily. If, again, if it makes you feel better, great. If not, like no big deal. Um, but just like higher rep stuff, sleds, those kind of things will kind of build up that.
base of GPP if that's what you're missing. Yeah. Well, and just that, that non-exercise physical activity, you know, just yeah. that's one thing I try to push on people is, is like as we get more into this lifting thing and we in this physical culture thing, we tend to let that bleed into other parts of life. And it's like whenever you're like, I'm going to go for a walk. And then in your head, you're like, I need to see how fast I can go, how far I can push this. It's like you need yeah. to have some physical activity shit that you do and you don't think about calories burned and like gains. Yeah. Just go have fun and be physical. And we lose that later in life. You know, there's everything's work that's physical. <laughs> and yeah. it's okay to just like one of the big things for me is like now that winter's here and I know I'll be less active, it's when I start my hiking again. So I'll go hike like three and a half miles. But I don't think about like I'm not pushing I don't even look at how far I've gone until I'm done. Yeah. And if I only went two point seven miles, whatever. I just turn on a podcast or something and I just go enjoy it. You know? <laughs> and that really helps. It's just it's it's just it's physical activity that's opposite of the gym. I go in there, I don't have a goal or a target, I'm just moving. You know, just being generally active. And I think that can really help you in your in your forties and I think because that's because we just don't do it as much as we did in our twenties. Like I just did that shit in my twenties. Like I didn't go out and play a pickup football game at the park when I was a kid and think about how many calories I'm burning and targeting my gastroc or something. You know, I didn't. <laughs> that didn't. I was just out there having fun. You know, go have fun and be physical. I think if more people just did that, holy crap! Don't even train. Just go outside, have fun, and be physical, and you'll probably be in okay shape. So, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing I see is that your aerobic fitness, right, which you can measure in the lab or on your own with a field test of VO2 max, right? So volume of oxygen you can run through your system, it degrades with age. Yeah. And we know that a huge portion of that is not necessarily just age itself, but lack of activity. Mm-hmm. But I've lost count of how many lifters I've worked with in their 30s, 40s, early 50s where you look at what they've done over the past year and they're like, yeah, I just, I just don't recover as well. I feel mm-hmm. tired. My sleep is good. I can't figure out what's going on. And you look at their training and it's, you know, sometimes it's an okay program, but it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday lift. Yes. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yes. Other than that, it's at work on the desk and at home. Yeah. On the couch. Yeah. They have a desk yes. job. They've got kids. They've yep. got, you know, or they're, a lot of people I work with are coaches, so they're training people in the gym, in the a.m. and p.m. They lift in the afternoon, and that's kind of their life. We you know, run a, a 2K on the rower or a Cooper run test, and their VO2 max, just compared to general population, is you know 20 to 30%. This is not athletes. This is just general pop. I'm like, yeah, that'll make you feel like shit. <laughs> 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 and then you run an aerobic, you know, block, do some stuff with that. And it's, it's a weird inverse or exponential gains where the first few weeks you don't feel better. But by the end, you're like, oh, wow, I do actually feel better. And then the other two components, like you said, Phil, is walking. And then the third one, which you, you talked about too, both of you did, is just recreation. Like if, and fitness professionals I work with, unfortunately, are the worst in this. And it's like, what do you do for fun? What do you mean fun? Like, yeah, like, like what movement do you do for fun? Like, do you ride a bike? I would recommend kiteboarding, surfing, tennis. Go, I don't care what it is. Yeah. The more complex the motor skill, I think, is going to be better. But just do something. Yes. Right? It doesn't even have to cost you a lot of money. Just you know, go pick, buy a tennis racket at Target for 20 bucks and hit a ball around. Yep. Like, catch a ball. Like, juggle. Do something. Right? Because <laughs> I think your brain is just atrophying because it's missing the coordination of all of those things, and it's just not getting it. Yep. So. Yeah, so basically to answer your question, no, it's not a waste of time. You know, I, no. I'm not going to tell anybody that going out walking, hiking, doing a little stretch here and there is a waste of time unless the ones I hate to see is when, and we get these, like the the prehab, rehab work and stuff like that, is like 99% of what they do. And then they forget the training hard thing. And it's like, yeah. that's neat. Quit bitching about your goals. You know, <laughs> quit bitching about not hitting PRs because you're spending 87% of your time like stretching. You know, that's why you suck. So yeah. uh, it can go both ways. But 
uh, yeah, just get out and be active. Generally, mindless active, <laughs> you know, is a big one for me. I mean, go out and, like, no goal active. Go out and just enjoy physical activity is a is a great thing for to get people to do. So, all right, we better end it. It's like nine fifteen, but we started late. So, I hope everybody had a wonderful week. Uh, we're in the holiday season, so happy holidays, everybody, and we will see you next week. See you later. Uh, how many lifters you got, Drill? Uh, I just got one. Just got dressed this weekend.